I know that time of worship was encouraging for you today, and I am so excited to wrap up this series that has been titled The Signature of God. This series has been all about the fact that with any great artist, that you can always look at their work and there are specifics about the way that they paint, the way that they create a masterpiece, that you say, I know which artist made this because I can just tell the way that his hand works. And the truth is, when we see God at work in the life of someone, there's certain things that just pop out that we recognize that didn't just come from them, but that's because God has been working on their heart, working in their mind working in their life. And there's certain things that are just described as the signature of God. When God's involved, you see this happen. And our theme verse for the series, and we're going to go ahead and put it up on the screen here next to me, comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And it says this, for we are God's, look at this word, masterpiece. This is how he talks about you. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, I don't know if it's difficult for you to describe yourself as a masterpiece. And I'm not saying that you have to go around or that you should go around describing yourself that way. But I want you to see that your heavenly father talks about you that way. That when he looks at you, he doesn't look at you with shame, he doesn't look at you with disappointment, but when you've come to him in faith, he says, this is a masterpiece that I'm creating. And in fact, I've taken the old, I've got rid of it, and I've made this person anew in Christ Jesus, and I have a purpose for them. I have good things that I've had planned for them for a long time, and I want to see them do them. In their household, in their family, in their community, in their workplace, I have good things for them to do. This is how your heavenly Father sees your life, as a masterpiece that he's creating. And so I want to just start with this very simple thought. You are made on purpose for a purpose. You are not an accident. You are not a surprise to God. But he made you on purpose and he has purposes ahead of you in your life. God has good things planned for you and he's had them in store for a long time. And in this series, we've looked at a couple things. The first week we looked at transformation. That one of the signatures of God in our life is transformation. The fact that he changes who we are and how we live. We looked at freedom. That within God's boundaries, he keeps us free in our life. From being shackled to any habit, addiction, or destructive behavior. We looked at harvest. The fact that even in this time, even in these times of COVID-19, where everything is so difficult, that there is still a harvest around us that God is able to raise up. There are opportunities we have to grab a hold of. And this week is about power. Now this might sound weird, and especially in this time where every pastor has suddenly become a televangelist because we're all preaching on TV and it feels kind of weird. And when we've heard churches talk about power, man, it can get weird quick. But I'm going to tell you, you can't read scripture without continually coming across the fact that Jesus expected his people to live with power. 
that we weren't gonna go through our life feeling defeated by the circumstances. That when challenges came up, when failures happened, we weren't gonna just fall back and just say, oh, there's just nothing I could do. But Jesus has given us power to overcome the circumstances that we walk through. Ephesians chapter one, verse 19, and we're gonna put this up on the screen. And this is the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. God expected, the apostles expected, Jesus expected that those who claimed the name of Christ would move and live in this power that he gives to his people, that we wouldn't feel trapped by our circumstances. Jesus expected that his followers would do even greater things than the miracles and the ministry that Jesus did during his lifetime. There shouldn't be an expectation of a feeling of, oh, the, the, the society's like this. This is happening in our world. And so we just have to back down and we have to be timid and we have to be quiet. No, the expectation is that when there's problems, we entrust them into God's hands and we expect to see him answer. Jesus is there and he is praying on our behalf and we should expect to see him show up in the middle of our circumstances. And I think that we have retreated a little bit because of fear and worry and anxiety. And I wanna encourage you, church, that God has given us this power to be at work in our lives. Today's passage comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, starting at verse 35. And we're gonna put this up on the screen. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, the people in front yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see and Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus, praising God, and all who saw it praised God too. Now, this is a really interesting passage, and it's actually found in three of the Gospels, this interaction that Jesus had with the man just outside of Jericho. And the man, what we find in the Gospel of Mark, his name was actually Bartimaeus. And this is an interesting point because as we see where, where this amazing miracle happened, first of all, it didn't happen in Jerusalem. If you were looking for a miracle, Jerusalem was God's favorite place. Jerusalem was the place where you would expect a miracle, not at Jericho. And then on top of that, Bar Bartimaeus, he, his name, Bar means son, but the next part of his name means unclean. And so he was born blind, and he was considered to be the son of the unclean. And he was considered to be blind because of whatever his father was like, whatever his mother was like. He was someone that when you looked at him, he was considered cursed. This was something that you deserve because of the people that you come from. And so it's easy to see that as we get into this passage, the, the people who looked at him and said, no, you be quiet, it's because he doesn't deserve to talk to someone like Jesus. You're a beggar, you're a street person, you're an unclean person. God has stricken you. You don't approach a rabbi like this. As we start into this interaction, it's just interesting to see. And 
to really get into the skin of someone like, like Bartimaeus, imagine what it would be like growing up blind in this day and age. Imagine the feeling of being led out to the roadside to beg. I can only imagine how many times in his life he asked and prayed, God, would you fix this? God, would you take this? Would you lift this off of me? Would you heal this in my life? I wonder how difficult it was for people to talk about the goodness of God to a child who was blind. I wonder in your life, the the people around you who are experiencing pain, I I wonder if you've had a sense of, I want to talk to them about God, but man, they're going through a rough time and it just doesn't seem right to talk to someone about God when they're struggling, when they're hurting, when they're experiencing that. And I bring that up because it's obvious that someone was talking to him about God. Someone was talking to him and teaching him about the Messiah that was to come because the the word that he uses when Jesus is coming by, he actually uses a messianic term, a term that was for the Messiah that was to come. And he calls out, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, this is important because this term goes back to a promise that God made to King David when God said that I will, in your household, I will set up the throne to go down your lineage forever, that from your household will be a king whose reign does not end. In the Gospel of Luke, when the angel is describing the birth of the Messiah to come, he says, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him, listen to this, the throne of his father David. This term, son of David, it was referring to the promises that had already been made, and it was actually the first declaration in the Gospel of Mark where someone declared that Jesus was the Messiah. Someone had been speaking into his life, even though he was in incredible difficulty, even though he was a beggar, even though he was called the son of the unclean, someone was teaching him about his heavenly father. And I want to point that out because there are times where we feel like this might not be the most appropriate time for me to share about God with someone, but I'm going to tell you, you're probably right in the middle of of the time where they need hope the most. When someone is hurting and struggling, it's not the time for the church to pull back the truth that they desperately need to hear. It's the time where you really do need to lean in and, and let them know, I know you're hurting right now, but I want to encourage you that you have a heavenly father who loves you. You have a heavenly father who has a plan ahead of you. And when we go through these times, those are the times we need to cling to him. Those definitely aren't the times where we need to quiet down and not speak about his love. Because this faith that was planted in Bartimaeus, it's what caused him to stand up. And and when he heard that Jesus is walking by, he shouted out, And he shouted out with passion. I mean, did you see the passion that was in this passage? He he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people around him started yelling at him, telling him to shut up. And he wouldn't. It said that he actually shouted even louder. And and there's five things that I just want to draw from this, this passage about the way that we should live, especially in the times where we need a miracle, where we need God's power to be on display in our life. And the first one is just simply this. Number one, be passionate. We, we need to be passionate in our pursuit of God. That when things are difficult, we, we don't fade backwards, but we push forward. We push even harder into the arms of our Heavenly Father. We shout even louder in praise and in prayer. 
When we need a miracle of God, we, we, we get passionate about it because we know we have a loving Heavenly Father who wants to work in our life. And we see this as he begins that even in the face of difficulty and opposition and social pressure, he doesn't quiet down. He gets even more passionate. He yells even louder. And this promise is found in Jeremiah 29 that when you seek after the Lord with your whole heart, you will find him. God, God is pleased when we seek after him with passion. He, he does not want a lukewarm response from us, but he wants us to seek after him with a whole heart, with our whole heart. And so in the way that we're living right now, if we need God to show up, if we want to see his power show up in our life, one of the first encouragements that I have for you is be passionate in your pursuit of him. Continue on in the passage as they, in verse 39, it said, be quiet. The people in front of him yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. The second encouragement that I have for you is be persistent. When you feel social pressure that, that you, should, you should back down, that you should be quiet, when you feel social pressure that, that there's other answers, that it's okay if you ignore God's word, I want to encourage you to be persistent. Jesus taught another parable about a widow who was seeking justice, and there was a judge that she needed to get justice from, but he, he didn't care what God thought, and he didn't care about justice, and so he didn't care about what she had to say. But she wanted justice so bad that day after day, she went, went after him. Day after day, she, she cried out for justice, and, and the, the unjust judge said, I'm going to give her justice just because I can't deal with her constantly coming after me. I don't care what God thinks. I don't care about justice but I'm going to give it to her so that it quiets down. And if that's how an unjust judge is, how much more so does your heavenly father who wants good things for you, who is just, is he going to respond to your prayers? We need to be persistent in what we want from God. This blind man, I can only imagine how many times he asked God, would you do a work? How many times in his life he prayed, God, I want to see And I'm sure that there's times where it felt like giving up or it felt like maybe God won't answer this prayer. But scripture encourages us to be persistent in what we're asking God for. And even in the face of social pressure, when other people told him to shut up, he just went after it even louder. I'm going to tell you, the thing that is on your heart right now, if there's something that that is heavy and difficult, if there's something causing worry and anxiety in your life right now, be persistent in your prayers. Don't think that just because God hasn't acted yet that he won't act. But continue in passion and in persistence to seek after God working in that area. The third thing that I see in this passage is that we should be precise. We should be precise. And this is interesting because as Jesus is interacting with this man who is very obviously blind, it almost seems strange that Jesus says, okay, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, he's, you know, he's blind. He's walking up to you. Maybe you could just assume, but there's something in it that Jesus wanted him to say. He wanted him to say, what do you want? What, What I want is my sight. It reminds me of an apology. And, you know, I hear apologies have to happen from time to time in marriages. I mean, you know, we would never make mistakes in our marriage. We never get angry at each other. We never have to apologize. But it reminds me of an apology because maybe you've made this um, error as well, where you say, well, I'm sorry. And then the other person says, sorry for what? Wasn't that close enough? Are you going to make me say it? Like, are you going to make me actually say what, what I did wrong? Can't I'm just sorry be good enough for you? 
I mean, I might be thinking, I'm sorry that you're overreacting. I may not be sorry that I forgot, even though you reminded me 10 times, but you know, I, I'm sorry you should just cut it. No, the fact is, if I'm really sorry, I don't have a problem naming it. I'm sorry that even though you reminded me 10 times and that I said I didn't need the note and the reminder that you gave me that I still forgot, when I'm ready to say it and name it, I'm really actually sorry. I mean, it reminds me of apologies. It also reminds me of repentance. God calls us to repentance in our life. And it says that we should actually confess our sins one to another. That, that we should actually say, God, I'm sorry that I've allowed this habit, this addiction, this sin. And, and when we, we actually are willing to admit that it happened, that's when God's hand of healing starts in our life. And so it played out in miracles as well that Jesus would say, what do you want me to do before he performed the miracle? And, you know, this also connects to why I think prayer journals are so powerful because when you write down what you've been praying for and you pray for months and you pray for years and then that prayer gets answered and you can point back and say, look, I've been asking God and my heavenly father showed up. There's just this power in, in specifically saying, this is what I want. And it's not be precise because God might give you di something different. No, that's not what it is. God is not trying to trick you, but there's a reality that, that God wants to show his power in your life. And he wants you to know that it's his hand that caused that. And often we don't ask for things because we're afraid that he might not show up or he might not show up on our time. But God is going to answer when we ask. He's going to answer in his time, but he is going to answer. And we need to be precise in, in the way that we pray to him. The next encouragement that I want to give you is to be positive. Number four, be positive. Now look, this is not about the power of positivity because you can be positive that something will work in your life. Like, I don't know if you've seen the, the things that were popular in the 90s where you strap this thing across your, your, your flabby stomach and it's gonna turn it into abs by electrocuting you. You can be positive that that's gonna work, but I'm pretty sure unless your body fat falls below 17%, you're not gonna see your abs. We can be positive about all kinds of things that, that don't really have power to work, but I'm talking about being positive and believing God's word. That, that understanding that his promises are gonna be true. Because we can place our faith in the wrong things. Being positive about what God wants to do in our life, there is power in that. Because we have to get our mind and our heart moving in the direction that God is moving in. We have to get to the point where our life is following the instructions of scripture because that's when we see the power of God at work in our life. God is going to continue to do the things that he loves to do. He loves to answer prayers in our life. He loves to respond to a faith that says, I know God is going to show up. The word that is used for healed in this passage is the same word that is used for saved. When Jesus says, your faith has healed you, there's a connected thought that your faith has saved you. It has changed you physically, but it has also changed you spiritually. And church, I want you to grab a hold of this, and I want this to be an encouragement to your heart and your mind, that when you make a decision to trust Jesus, it doesn't just change your life now, it changes your life forever. That, that as incredible as it is for him to have his, his sight 
restored to him. Even more important is that his name was written in the Lamb's book of life, that he was given eternal life. And the passage tells us that he didn't just receive healing and run off, that he immediately began to follow Jesus. That this wasn't just one thing where he received and he was gone, but the reason that his name shows up in this passage when so many other people were healed by Jesus and their names weren't recorded is because he spent his life following Jesus. He was with the disciples. He became one of the followers. His name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And church, I want you to know that bigger than the need that you feel right now is the need for you to have a right relationship with God, for your life to be moving in the direction that God's called you to move. Your decisions today about how you respond to God, they will matter literally for thousands of years, for generations of the earth. Your decisions today will be celebrated in heaven as you choose to honor God. The way that we live today, it matters. As this blind man experienced healing, experienced life change, he was the first one in the Gospel of Mark to pronounce Jesus as the Messiah. And it's important to note that Jesus didn't correct him because his statement was accurate. He is the one who was to come from the line of David. He is the one that was going to free Israel from their captivity, not just political captivity, but captivity to sin. The fifth encouragement that I wanted to give to you today from this experience with Bartimaeus is be overflowing with praise. I love in the interaction how other people tried to silence him, but it just made him get louder. There's this feeling that what I feel inside right now about how to respond to God, about how to respond to Jesus, like I don't care what anyone else thinks. I don't care if it seems over the top to other people. Like I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna praise him. I'm gonna say who he is, who I believe him to be. I believe he has the power to change my circumstance. And so I'm going to lift it up. I'm gonna speak it out. It's going to happen. I don't care. Like, be overflowing. I'll illustrate it this way. Uh, I was having some fun with my kids, and I was curious, and maybe you already saw this on Facebook, but I wanted to know how difficult it would be to hold Mentos inside of a two-liter bottle of Diet Coke. I'm going to show you what happened. So I was curious. I know what happens when you put Mentos in Coke, but I was curious if I would be strong enough to hold it shut and contain the pressure. I was curious enough to try. So, lid, two Mentos. I think think the way that you do it is, oh, Oh, I could. Oh, I can't for a minute. (laughs) The pressure is still building. I can feel it. It's beginning to drip out. (laughs) (laughs) It got me a little bit. (laughs) Thirsty? I am. It, It was funny. It was messy. But it was this feeling of the pressure was rising and something was gonna happen. 
It, when I was in Bible school, Jeremiah 20, verse 9, the prophet Jeremiah is talking, and he's talking about this passion that God has put inside of his heart. This sense that talking about God's goodness, like he can't hold it in. He compares it. It feels like there's a fire shut up in my bones, and if I say I won't speak about him or I won't remember him, I, I get weary of it, and I can't help it. It's going to happen. Like the praise of God is going to come out of me. And when we expect to see a miracle of God, the power of God at work, in our life, then we need to be overflowing with praise because it helps keep us on track with the truth of who God is. And this is the thing. It's not an over-the-top thing. It's accurate. Like, I just don't think that you can go over the top in praising God because the closer you get to him, the more powerful you realize he is. The, the more time that you spend with him, you understand how his word, it works. It works in the way that I father. It works in the way that I'm a husband. It works in the way that I'm a coworker. It works in the way that I'm making my city better. That as I apply his word, he is worthy of the praise that I give him. And I can never be over the top in it. No matter how much I pour out, he's worthy of more. And as you do that, God loves to show off in those circumstances because people realize it's not about you, but it's about him. The problem is when we lift ourselves up, when we make it about us instead of about him, those are the times where we're not gonna see God's hand at work because that's just not how God does miracles. God doesn't perform a miracle to make you look better. In life, there's some things that, that come into our life and it's like, I can't handle this. The stress is too heavy. The anxiety is too heavy. The worry is too much. The fear, it, it, I can't handle it. And the only way that I can make it through this is if, God, you begin to work. I, I want to compare it to, to lifting something that's heavier than what I could lift. So let's compare the issue in your life that has you stressed, has you worried, the issue in your life where you're saying, I need to see the power of God at work in my life. Let's compare it to this weight. Now, I don't know what your expectation of me is, but I am a tall, lanky person. And when it comes to deadlifting, this is about 400 pounds, and this is way beyond me. This is not something that when I grab a hold of it, I can lift on my own, on my own strength, on my own power. But there is a way to lift this. Now see, the thing is, when God does a miracle, it's not about our strength. It's not about necessarily our story even. It's not about me, it's about him. And you might be wondering how Paul has the ability to do this and make this level take. Well, it's not about me or my strength, it's about these guys right here that came around me. We can put it down. <laughs> that feel heavy? <laughs> All right, here, stay here for just a minute. All right, these guys right here, either one of them could probably lift this on their own. They can lift something that I can. When we ask God to work, we're asking to see a strength at work in our life that is not our own. And when he does a miracle, I'm gonna tell you, it's not about making me look strong or making me look good, but it's about glorifying him. It's about his strength being at work in our life. Some of the weights and the pressure that we feel right now, they are tremendous. 
They are difficult, they are real, and they're things that we can't and that we shouldn't carry on our own strength. But one of the ways that we identify and we see God is at work in the life of that person is when we see the strength of God getting them through something that other people would be crushed under the weight of. And we recognize that the reason that they're able to bear it isn't because of their hands grabbing the bar and just figuring out how to do it by themselves, but because God has stepped into the situation. The way that he did with Bartimaeus, the way that he has done in so many other people's lives when they've said, God, I trust you, I trust this into your hands, and I need to see your strength because my strength won't cut it. And so when we ask for him, and this is what I want for you, I want you to recognize that that pressure that you're worrying about right now, that stress that you have, you can ask your heavenly father to work. You don't have to be afraid to ask him for a miracle. He wants you to ask him for it. He wants you to specifically tell him what you need. He wants you to be persistent in it. He wants to see you overflowing with praise and expectation because this is the type of God we serve, the God who has the power to do miracles. And he is still at work. He's been at work in the church and you can't persuade me otherwise because I've already seen him do it too much. I've seen him heal in our church. I've seen him heal overseas. I've seen him heal in my own household. I've seen him do miracles. The power of God is still at work in the church today. We should ask our heavenly father to do incredible things in our life. And this is the attitude that we should have when we pray. Check this out from Philippians chapter four, verse six. And we'll put this up on the screen. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I want to just focus in on this aspect of thanksgiving. That when we seek after our Heavenly Father in prayer, we should expect, God, I thank you that you're going to work in this. God, I'm concerned about my son-in-law who's in the hospital right now. I thank you that you're gonna be at work. And there's a person in our family who right now, that is a prayer on their heart. They have a son-in-law who's in the hospital. And so we're praying and we're thanking God that he's gonna work in this situation. God, my marriage is difficult right now and I thank you that you're gonna work as I follow the instructions you've written in scripture. Expectation that God is gonna come through and a real thankfulness because we really trust him. So church, I want to encourage you. When you think about the big scary prayer request, the thing that's on your heart or the thing that you know you should be doing but you haven't, that it's intimidating to think about, but you know this is something that you need the strength of God at work in your life. What is that prayer request? Have you been afraid to pray it? Have you been afraid to admit that you need God's hand in it? What is that prayer request? I want you to bring it to your mind because I want you to bring it into your prayers. If you've been afraid to risk and ask God to be at work in that, I want to encourage you that your heavenly father, he can lift the weight. It might feel impossible for you because it is, but it's not impossible for him. But you have to choose to say, God, I'll trust this into your hands. 
God, I will ask. God, I will be passionate. I will be persistent. I will be precise. I will be positive. I will be overflowing with praise because I expect to see your power at work in my life. And so, Father, I just want to pray for the church. I want to pray for those of us who follow you, but we have fallen back into a timid Christianity where we don't expect to see your hand at work. Father, create expectations in our heart again. Create a desire to see the power of God at work in our heart, in our family, in our workplace, in our city. God, we believe that you want to do great things and we expect to see your kingdom move. We expect to see miracles happen again. We expect to see your goodness on the earth. And so, Father, begin here. Begin with us. We trust you. We believe. We are ready.